You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Camrys Johnson. It's a common misconception that this podcast is solely about musicians, but it's really about sharing stories with anyone who has a story to tell. Camrys Johnson is an actor based in New York City who you might recognize from There's Johnny and Luke Cage. He's a kind soul who loves what he does, and it was that innate passion for what he does that made me want to talk to him in the first place. Within this talk, we go into his origin story of growing into the actor that he is today, as well as what it means to even be an actor, especially in 2018. This is the 405 Exchange with Cameron Johnson. Enjoy. So, an obvious first question is, how's life going? Life's good, man. I cannot complain. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, dude. You know, dead serious, you're the first person who's been on the show, I'm pretty sure, the first person who's been on the show that has an IMDb page. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I just want to say, is really fucking awesome. (laughs) Like, that's a really cool thing. (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) Yeah. Is that one of those things where it's like, because, so... For context for people, there's also going to be an intro. We met at a holiday party last year, mm-hmm. and what was really cool was, because you're an actor, one of the biggest things that we found ourselves vibing off of wasn't just the work that you do, but this acting and movies in general. And I imagine when you like are becoming an actor, that's one of those things you're probably thinking about, like, oh man, I'm going to have this page, and we're going to see what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Did that ever cross your mind? It's funny, because whenever you first get into acting, uh, IMDb is such a big deal, because it's like, you want that first IMDb credit, and after that first, it's like, all right, I got the first one, I got to keep getting some IMDb credits. But now it's one of those things where it's literally, it, it, you have to have it, like, you can't really be a working actor without an IMDb page. So I do like, it is nice whenever a new credit goes on there because it is the one place where people go to see what you're working on. Sure. But it's not nearly as big a, of a deal as it used to be a couple years ago. And I was just like, oh, it's just like my, my Facebook page. It's like, I have that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Does that almost work like behind the scenes? Does IMDb almost function like a resume? In a way, yeah. Because the thing about IMDb is that it's where everyone goes to see what everyone is working on. I mean, it, you can find a resume and, and a headshot and stuff other places, especially on um, like where the breakdowns are. Breakdowns are where it, breakdowns is where the actual auditions are, but mostly agents and managers see that kind of stuff. Um, so if you want, if you're looking for an actor, you can always go through the representation and just kind of see whatever their pitch packet is. But IMDb is a very quick and easy way to just see what I've worked on and possibly what I'm working on and what any news that's surrounding my name right now. Um, yeah, IMDb is cool, and also like pretty much anyone can add stuff to it. So if I if I'm working on a film, I can go into my profile to add it, or if like someone like I, for example, the, this movie I'm shooting right now, The Sun Is Also a Star. Um, once the word got out that I'm in it on Deadline, then like the next day, all of a sudden it was on my profile. That's so dope. yeah, so either the PR team for the movie did it, or the PR team for Deadline did it. Or a random fan of the of the novel did it, so it could, it could be anybody. Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate to meet some actors throughout the years, and one of the things that really uh, struck me when I met you was how humble you were. Oh. And I, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean that in a very <laughs> genuine way, particularly about how you were talking about your craft. Like there was this approach that you had in talking to me, where I could tell in regards to how you talk to people, it's very important for you that people understand that you see it as a craft or right. anything else. 
Um, and I'm definitely gonna put that in the intro, like loads of fucking things. But <laughs> I love for, to hear you talk about your journey. And to start off, like, when did you realize that being an actor is what you wanted to do? Man, so I was actually planning to go into the military because my dad was in the Navy, and my brother actually just retired from the Navy to go to college this past year. Wow. So it just made sense for me to also want to go. So I was in ROTC for two years, and after my second year of ROTC, I realized that it really wasn't for me. Um, it did teach me a lot about structure, and um, marching was fun, yeah. <laughs> yelling was fun, but it just I didn't want to do that forever. Um, it, there's nothing creative about it to me. It was just very military. Yeah, <laughs> oh, just real, real quick, I just want to say for people in Europe who are listening, that ROTC is the program in high school oh, sorry. that uh, trains you essentially to be in the military. Yeah. And well, it, it teaches discipline and things like that. But. Yeah, but like it, it teaches you how to be in the military. You, te you learn how to march, you learn how to do all the chants, you learn um, you know, how, to, how to iron your uniform, everything. Shoe shining. Drills, yeah, shoe, shi shoe shining was yeah. very important. Um, if you, they teach you that if if you uh, didn't put your pins on your uniform exactly the way they were supposed to be, you get points off. Like it was supposed to be like five centimeters away from the top. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. If you had a wrinkle on the knee of your clothes, that was points off. Um, so it, te it teaches you a lot about discipline because you have to be so specific and so right and have a very keen eye on everything. Um, but anyway, I did that for two years and then realized I didn't want to do that. And then choosing a new class, my mom said. Uh, you like to be loud and obnoxious, try acting. <laughs> so I gave it a shot, and I was like, sure. And I fell in love with it. So even then, even in junior year, I still didn't know if I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. And then senior year of high school, I went to this acting event called, I think it was either, it was either the Georgia Theater Conference or it was DESCON, which is a thespian conference. Yeah. It's a high school conference where you audition for colleges and you know whatnot. So I auditioned for 17 colleges, and I got 14 callbacks. Jesus. And that's when I realized, like, oh, okay, so I, I can do this. Like, I, if I pursue this, um, I believe that I can actually get somewhere. It's not, you know, it's not like, it's, this isn't just something that I'm okay at. Like, a lot of people think that I could go somewhere with this, so I'm going to do that. And I even did public speaking senior year, too, and I realized how much I like to speak in front of people uh, once I have material put together and I can sort of flub with it. And then the more I got to acting, the more I realized that improv is fun because I get to sort of add things and ad lib, and that's always fun too. So yeah, when I was 17, that's when I decided that acting was where I wanted to be, and I moved, moved right here in New York. Dude, 14 out of the 17. I mean, what is it, like, you're probably, what, like 17, 18 around that time? I was either 16 or 17, yeah. What does that do to the mind of someone that young? It, <laughs> and it gave me confidence, for sure. It gave me quite a bit of confidence in my craft. Um, because you know, in high school, it's just it's just high school theater. You you, you never really know, um, and as a black high schooler, it's not like I was the lead of every show. Yeah. So I, I was in a lot of shows just because there were a lot of shows. Thankfully, my high school was amazing. I can't I couldn't have I could have thought of a better theater for a high school. We had we had like eleven hundred seats in our theater. Huh. Um, we had seven plays a year. One of them was always a musical. Two of them were directed by students. One was a, a kid show every year. Like, we had so many plays. That's insane. Yeah, so the training was insane because I moved to New York thinking that every theater was going to be at least 1,100 seats. And I go to this, do my first play here, and it's like, there's only 100 seats here? <laughs> so my high school had 1,000 more. I don't understand. Because um, at my high school, no, they, 
we didn't understand at the time that our training was so good that our stage was nearly as big as a Broadway stage. I had no idea. So all that training that we're doing was just setting us up for actual success in acting. Um, but yeah, man, it, after those, those 14 callbacks, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. So, <laughs> Dude. so if I pursue this and I start training and I get better, then maybe, no, definitely I can get somewhere as long as I keep going. You know, so I'm really curious about because you brought up the fact that that was pretty much like the genesis that went into your head about I could do this. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious if there was also like a project, whether it be a TV show, movie, or play that you saw and the way another actor was conveying their emotions and lines mm. also made you think that. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of one. Um, I mean, Denzel and everything has always been very inspiring to me. Um, I can't think of any at the time, but I know as of recently, I always aspire to, to, to do certain things that actors do that make them I aspire to do things that other actors do that make, uh, more I'm trying to say. I aspire <laughs> to get to the point where I can make certain acting look very easy, is what I'm trying to say. Hence Denzel. Hence Denzel. Everything he does seems so effortless. So effortless. And one example of that was uh, this last movie he shot, um, uh, uh, Roman Israel J. Esquire, I might have butchered the name, but he plays like this lawyer. And there's this scene where He's like talking to the talking to one of the other main characters, and all of a sudden he just a tear just comes out out of nowhere without even trying. He just like he does this thing where he like scratches his lip for a second and then comes back to his dialogue, and all of a sudden he's crying. Oh my God. <laughs> but like there was no there was nothing before it. It was just like where how did how did you do that? Yeah. Where did that tear come from? And and I recently did that just for an audition. But as soon as I did it, I was like, oh snap! <laughs> I just did the thing. I did the Denzel wow. tear thing. Um, so I always like I want to keep finding ways to, to to feel everything in a very organic way, because um, that's one thing about, about acting is finding a way to find every emotion in the moment and make it very real, even though you know exactly what's about to happen. So making it unexpected, even though it's expected, and that's that's in theater a lot because you're doing the same thing every single day and seeing new surprises every single day. But then on camera, you have so many different takes that for every single take, you want to make sure that it feels they renew every single time. And that's where improv and ad-libbing sort of comes in, where the more that you can add to it and kind of play with it, the more real it is every single time. Yeah, I've been fortunate to work on a couple of sets with different producers, mostly TV sets, mm -hmm. and it's been a really interesting experience for me because prior to doing that, I've always enjoyed film and acting, but I feel like there's something about actually seeing it being conveyed in physical form that kind of changes your perspective. Right. And within this context, what I want to bring up is that something I think would blow a lot of people's minds about acting is that because of the way sets are structured and how they move about, you have to, you're essentially like on set as an actor on call all day. Yep. And it's, there's so much waiting around. It's pretty much someone tapping on the shoulder like, we need you to be the best, insanely best you could be for 13, 12 minutes right now. And then maybe we'll tap you again another two hours. Yep. And that is really fucking hard. Yeah, man. It's funny when we, when we put it like that. I, I never really think about it like that because I've been on set for so many years now. But yeah, you get to set at, you know, 8 a.m. and you do the hair and makeup thing for 30 to 45 minutes. You do, you get in costume really quick. You're talking to everyone. You're making a small chat. You get to set, you rehearse it one time and then you get right to it. And then after shooting that one scene for sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes five hours, um, it could be really simple and they just have to do so many different things with the camera. Um, you could just be sitting there for another six hours waiting around 
because you can't leave set and come back. Because what if you can't come back? What if there's traffic? What if there's, you know, whatever? So you sit there trying to find things to do, killing time. And then finally, like you said, they say, hey, okay, we're, we need you again. And you come back in, you get right back into character, and you do it again. Um, yeah, it's fun. But the thing about, that's why, like, that's the hard part of, of film is the waiting around part. And then on the stage, the hard part is the opposite. There is no waiting around. It's, I mean, there is waiting for your scene to come up, but it's a constant bam, 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 like over and over again, one, one show a night. Um, also, there's no takes. So whatever you do on stage is what happens. My friend was telling me this story recently. She's in this show um, at a second stage. It's like an off-Broadway play. It's called Mary Page Marlowe. And she was saying that in one of the first shows, uh, she has a book in her scene. And she's like reading the book. And then whenever her line says like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the book, she picks up the book and drops it off the stage. And <laughs> on stage, all you can do is make that work. So she stayed, like she had to act like she didn't drop it, kept doing the scene, and then as soon as the other actress had her line like, okay, you know, go, go back to your book or something, instead she was like, why don't you go find your book? Like, why don't you go find the book that you threw or something? And then she just like had to leave stage naturally and then go downstage, pick it up, and then come back and make it look like it was part of the scene. But she said like in her head she was freaking out. She was like, I just threw my prop off the stage. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember I was in this play, uh, my second, I was only in two plays, I think, since I've lived here. My, my second play was Kiss Me Kate, it was at this all-girls school, and there was one day where, while I was doing the scene, uh, my other stage broke, like the door fell off. Holy shit. Yeah, and I heard it happen while I was on stage, and I was like, whatever that is, and it just kept going. And then when I got off stage, they are like, so, the door to your dressing room on stage fell off, but like, don't worry, we fixed it, we screwed it back on, it's fine. I was like, great. So the next scene that I came on, it was the dressing room scene, and I go, and the door doesn't open. The door's like, jammed. So I keep like, pulling it and pulling it and pushing it, nothing's happening, and I almost walked around the set, but that would've broke the fourth wall, it would've broke all the rules, because yeah. no, now, you know, now I'm in a play, if I walked around the stage. So I almost did it, and I came back, and I just had to like, burst through the door and push the thing down. And made the audience laugh, but like I had to stick, stick what was given to me. But that changes almost like the whole impetus of the mood. Of yeah, the it does. I mean, it, well, that's the cool thing about theater is like everything's so in the moment. Like, the laughs are right now, the cries are right now, um, and if something messes up, you fix it right now. It's that's what that's one reason I miss theater so much is I miss the, the immediate, what's the word? Ah uh, man, what's the word? This, this happens with my ten thirty. Uh, like the payoff. Yeah, like, like an immediate payoff sort of thing. Um, as soon as you do something, you get a response immediately. Yeah. And I love that. You know what? I've never had a chance to ask an actor friend this, but like as you were talking, it made me wonder this. Is it possible at all to take the theater mentality, at least the functionality of it as an actor, and bring it to like a TV or film set? Like, is that possible? I'd say so, yeah. I mean, theater and film don't have... They're not very different. Um, the only thing about theater that's different than film, really, is how big it is. Um, if you need to look to the left on camera, you just use your eyes. On stage, you use your face or your entire body. Um, it, it is showing the entire audience exactly what you're doing at all times. Um, so you can't do small movements because any small movement can't be seen from you know 30 rows back. But on camera, the smaller the movement, the more interesting. Because in real life, we don't do a whole lot to express because we see each other this close. There's no reason for me to 
turn my entire body to the left to point, you know, to a box of, of, of cereal. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah. So they're similar in the way where they are very expressive, but they're two different types of skills. I'd say that there are more theater actors that can do on camera than there are on camera actors that can do stage. Because the thing about being, like a lot of things that actors hear, well, one of the many things that actors hear often is um, you can't be too big. So, because the thing about that, what that means is on camera, if you're being too big, if you're being too loud, if you're being too, if you're moving too much, uh, and a director can always say, you're doing great, cut that down. It's always easier to, to stop doing things. Yeah. But if they say, okay, now you're not doing enough, turn it up, that's harder. Um, for you all of a sudden to use your body when you weren't doing it before, it's much more difficult to stop using your body at all. Um, so that's why theater actors can be told to, hey, just quiet down a little bit and sit in that corner and don't move. But do everything else. That's why they're so great. And there's so many theater actors that people love so much and don't know that they're theater actors because they're just, you know, they have so much that they're doing and they're, they're forcing themselves to keep it all together in one little box and it looks amazing on camera. Then you go to, to see a Broadway show and you see a film actor that hasn't done theater before and you can't hear them and you, you can't see what they're doing because everything's so small. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they'll be mics so you can hear them, but it's not the same. They're not projecting, they're not, they're not giving their all. It's coming from their chest instead of their stomach. I'm thinking about the plays I've seen with like Hollywood slash movie actors and wow, that's, I've definitely noticed, I've noticed that, I'm realizing now that I have noticed that. In the yeah, because it's, it's just a different world. It's like if you're on stage, the point of a stage is to use it. Like you want to use the stage, you need to, to be a presence on that stage. On camera, being a presence on camera isn't the same because that means you're a presence in this one small world, in this one small section of the world. But then on stage, you're a presence of the entire world. The entire stage is your world. And even if you can't move around the entire stage in that scene, you have to feel like you're on the entire stage. And the entire audience needs to feel like they, they can feel you in the entire room. And that is a presence that you cannot get on camera. Um, because then and it embodies every piece of you. And that's why everything's so much bigger and everything's so much louder because on stage you need to feel, you need to fill the room. Yeah, I want to go backwards a little bit and um, I don't want to speak for you because I think this almost borders on being generalizing a little too much, <laughs> but I think it's almost safe to say that being brought up by black parents, it's sad, at least in America, it can sadly be rare when a black parent or black parents will um, support a creative endeavor or support the idea of a creative endeavor. What really intrigued me with what you were talking about when you were younger mm -hmm. is that your mother not only had so much belief in you, but so much wherewithal. And right. Do you remember how your parents reacted when you told them the first time this is what you wanted to do? Um, pretty much, yeah, but like you said, thankfully, my parents ha are really supportive and always have been very supportive. And that's very unlike... <laughs> Black parents in America that you know that want to go into acting, and not just not just in America, but black parents in general, just because we're very cautious, um, and it makes sense because there's it's a lot easier to to find pain in this industry for me than it is for a white male or a white female, and it's a lot harder for me to find success than it is for them as well. Um, so the fact that it was my mom's idea to get into acting, and it was my dad's idea to move to New York to get into acting, is very rare. Um, I remember when I like the more I talked about acting, I, I could see the more they started to realize how much I started to love it because we were realizing together how much I started to love it. Um, but my mom wanted me to go to college really badly, 
and she so she to make a joke about it every now and then. Right now, um, she gets it. She gets that I likely won't ever go, and if I do, I'll go in a way that it won't interfere with my career. Yeah. And I probably won't even major in acting. I major in psychology or something else that I'm interested in. Yeah. But she did really want me to go, and at first she'd say like, "Okay, if you're gonna go to New York, maybe eventually you can take online classes." And my dad actually thought that I could live here for a year and then go to school, which was kind of the plan. He actually really wanted me to try to go to Juilliard, and he firmly believed that I, I, I would have gotten in. Um, and he kept saying that. He kept saying, like, you're going to go to Juilliard, eventually, you know, you're going to audition for it, you get there, you go there for a year, you audition, you get better. Well, that's a nice fire to have under your house. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll do that. And then I just eventually didn't end up going. But there was never an inkling of, like, not believing in me. Um, there was that safety thing again, like it was especially my grandparents over my parents. My my grandpa, my mom's dad, to this day, doesn't want to talk to or hear about acting. He he's just so scared of the of the world of Hollywood. Still to this day. To this day, like if I bring it up, he'll just change the subject. He doesn't want to talk about it. Um, no matter like how successful I get, no matter how many projects I work on, he's just like ah, because he he told me a couple years ago. Like I remember talking about acting and how well it was going. And he went on this rant, like, why don't you just become a lawyer? Why don't you just become a doctor? Why don't you just like, go to school and do these things? Like, you make good grades. Why are you in this industry that, like, if things could fall apart in any second, like, sort of thing. And I was like, whoa, buddy, hey, breathe. <laughs> it's like, I'll be fine. But he doesn't want to hear that because he's so old school. He's so old-fashioned. Sure. He grew up with so much racism and so much, you know, I mean, there's plenty of racism now. But it's not the same for him. Like, yeah. he has this certain, like, it's going to be harder for you all the time forever um, please don't do this sort of thing. And now that I'm doing it, every time I see him, I don't think acting ever comes up in conversation. Um, but my parents love to hear about it. They, my mom wants to come to every set that she can. Uh, but yeah, like, so they were scared at first, but they love it now. Especially my dad. Oh my goodness, he tells everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah. If I if I ever like need everyone in Georgia to, <laughs> to know anything I'm working on. I just told my dad first, and he's like, oh, wow. Like the next day, it's like, hey, your dad told me that uh, you were going on this movie. Yeah, he does everybody. Do you know what? This reminds me a little bit of a talk I was having with my girlfriend yesterday, because um, back in the UK, we have this rapper, Stormzy. Stormzy, there he is. Yeah, he's the best. And yesterday, he announced that he just signed a development deal with uh, Penguin Books, mm -hmm. and he'll have an official imprint on Penguin with his own, uh, his own first book, and then helping uh, young black youths in the UK become authors as well that's and awesome exactly and you know i heard that maybe yesterday like this time yesterday like in the morning and it really affected me throughout the day and i was talking to my girlfriend about trying to tell her that like you know it feels almost weird at times as a black person having to say this but when there's uh more opportunities to access for younger black people it just makes you reflect on the times in your life when you didn't have that and just yeah. seeing what your parents did with you and what i imagine you'll do with your future because mm. it's so important yeah, it's so important. I mean, to just like give your 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 children the opportunity to to chase their dreams and do whatever they want and like firmly believe in themselves and fail on their own and succeed on their own, it means a lot. Because I, if it took just one of my parents to say that they didn't think that I should do this, I probably would have went to school and did something that I didn't want to do, or I would have went to the military even though I didn't want to do that. But I did this crazy, crazy thing not only because they let me, but also because they sort of pushed me to do it. They were like, you like this, go do it. 
especially considering the age you're in, because it's one thing to like have a drive when you're like a young teenager, but unless you have like some sense of motive outside motivation coming in, it's going to be very hard to like actually propel it forward. Right. Agreed. And my, my dad told me um, later on in life that after seeing me in my high school plays, he said, I never had any doubt that you would do well in this industry. Um, so every time I, I like, I, whenever I book the next big project, and I book the next big project, and I call him and say like, "Oh, dad, guess what?" For this one, when I called him, and I was freaking out because my first studio film, and I called him and said like, "I booked this Warner Brothers movie. Like, I can't believe this." It was the first time that he he got excited, but not nearly as excited as he always gets. For the first time, he was like, "Well, it's about time," but not not, not like in a real oh, way. Oh. And I was like, "Oh, I was like, what do you mean it's about time?" He was like, "Well, he was like, I've known that you were gonna make it for a long time." He was like, "It's." It's about time that other people saw that. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> He's, yeah, man, my parents are very supportive. So, yeah, it is very important. Um, I really? know. Sorry, go I was just going to say, I really hope I meet your parents someday. Oh, they're great. <laughs> they're so great. And I know, I know way too many actors that went to college and didn't want to for four years. Yeah. And after they graduated, they just forgot whatever they majored in to pursue acting. And, but it's not like college is bad. College is good. Yeah. But sometimes... College is not for everyone. No, exactly. Yeah, and for some of these actors, going to college, since they're forced by their parents, yeah. all that did was put them four years behind. Um, like, my, I have this old friend, Rachel. She went to college for, for her parents, and her mom, like, wouldn't have talked to her or whatever if she didn't go. And she so went to make her happy. But then even after college, like, she still would keep going with you majoring in this thing while you're working in this thing. So it never really ended. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's rough whenever, like, a parent is really trying to drive the car for their, for their kids. Yeah. They feel like they'd be safer in the back seat. But a lot of the times, if the parent sits in the passenger seat, like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, you know? and I think, to be honest, what I love about what you're saying, it's something I strongly believe in. I think it even extends past acting, where it's, like, college and what it is particularly in these states, but I'd say fairly in Europe too, from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. It is so important, it's a beautiful thing, but it can't be the entity that it is if it was for everyone. Right, like Agree. just, agreed, yeah. very well said. It can't be the entity that it is if it, if it is for everyone. I mean, like, I would like to go to college just because I I never got that camaraderie, the, the, the camaraderie part of it all, like the living on campus and the yeah. college parties and that kind of thing. But also, I know that I'm not... I, I thrive doing what I'm what I want to do instead of learning in a classroom setting. I learn better on the job. So if I went to college for acting, I don't know if I'd even be acting still, or if I'd be as interested in acting as I am now, because I learned by doing. I would do a short film and then watch the short film and be like, didn't like that, but all those things that I did like, I'll keep doing those and I'll stop doing those. I taught myself and then I'd find a coach here and I take a class here and a workshop here and I learn by going to do things but if I go to a routine class every single day or week for a certain amount of hours and I'm taking notes and like I'm forced to learn when I don't want to then I'm not I'm gonna take it for that moment but it's not gonna sit inside of me the way I want it to no completely yeah I need to learn by failing yeah. and that's what I did failing is very important <laughs> failing is very important do you know what I always love getting people's uh, perspective about this place because honestly even though there's other cities in the world and the US New York is so specific at what it is mm -hmm. what, what, what would you say was the thing that surprised you the most when you first came here not particularly when you came here but probably like when you first started pursuing acting mm. that's a good question I, I think one of the things I was surprised by New York 
was the amount of hardworking actors here. Because um, whenever my dad said that I should move to New York for acting, I actually kind of laughed because I, I didn't think that was a real thing. I was like, that's what they do in movies. Like people don't move to New York to be actors. Like that's not a that's a stereotype. Like that's not actually what happens. So when I got here, I met so many actors, but a lot of them were starting acting at 25, 30, 50. Um, there were so many people that were just hungry for it, and I was surprised at the amount of people that there were. There's just so many actors in the world, and people don't realize. But when you start naming an A-lister, you can name so many A-listers, and then you'll you'll run out of names, and then that's that's not even the B-listers and the C-listers and the people in broad the Broadway stars, the off-Broadway stars, uh, the voiceover artists. There's so many artists in the world, and coming from a small town in Georgia, knowing that the only artists that you know are the people in band and theater and singing, I mean, in choir, rather. Um, then you go to New York and you just see art everywhere and you realize how influential it is to the population and to, to the communities around you. But there's so much art everywhere. And I think that's the thing that surprised me the most was like, coming to New York and saying that you're an actor, people go, oh, <laughs> oh, really? I ha my cousin's an actor, my brother's an actor, like, I'm an actor. But in Georgia, it's like, oh, I'm an actor. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. You know what that kind of reminds me of? Um, one of my biggest guilty pleasures. I don't want really to say guilty pleasure because everyone probably loves it. But Inside the Actor's Studio. I mm. love that show so much. And I remember a couple years ago watching uh, Bradley Cooper on it. And it was trippy because he went to Pace and he was in the audience like years prior to that. That's right. But I remember him talking about like how he was, he graduated from Pace and he worked as a waiter in New York for about four years until he got his first role, which I think was Alias or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm reminded of that in talking to you because it's one of those things where it's like, here's someone like Bradley Cooper, right? Who at this current state and time is like one of the big A-listers. Right. Meanwhile, years prior, he was a waiter. Any waiter or like hotel person that you see today could be the next Bradley Cooper. And that's... Sure crazy it's really crazy it's funny that you say that because i was a waiter last year only for a few weeks only for four weeks i couldn't do it oh it's um, it's awful it's so rough but i did it like it was it was funny because i did i became a waiter for those four weeks after i shot my show there's johnny on hulu um and we had the premiere and blah blah blah, blah and i just needed some extra money and i was working at this waiter job like the day after our red carpet premiere. It was a very crazy feeling. Cause I was like, I'm here and I don't want to be here. And I just did this thing that I want to be doing, but I still need money. Yeah. And people don't even know that I'm in the thing yet. Um, so I was in this weird in-between stage. And a lot of actors have to go through that of like, you know, you have this thing that's about to be a big deal, but right now it's not. So even for like, it could be even a another year, you're sitting here like still living a very normal life you're still a waiter, you're still a caterer, you're still a you know, repairman or whatever, and all of a sudden, bang, you're not that person anymore. Um, it's crazy, man. And it's also crazy to like, the further that you, that you get in this thing, the more friends you see just all of a sudden blow up. And like, oh, okay, so when I met you a year ago, you were doing really well, now you're famous. <laughs> My friend uh, Liv Hewson, she's in that show, The Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, I love that show. She, yeah, she's the daughter. She's Drew Barrymore's daughter in that show. Oh. Yeah, so I met her, I wanna say, Highly recommend that show for people listening, by the way. Oh, man, the Santa Clarita Diet is so funny. Yeah. I just watched season two uh, maybe a month ago or so. Timothy Oliphant is one of the best fucking actors. He's so funny! He's fucking hilarious. I can't... I just saw season two. <laughs> yeah. Yo, everything he said made me laugh. He's so... I can't believe how and hilarious he is. His timing is genius. Yeah. He's so great. 
But Liv, I think Liv is so, so funny. That is so trippy. And even in, in, in real life, um, Liv is hilarious. She's just like such an amazing person. I love her. So when, I, when we met, I want to say it was right before season one came out. Yeah, right before season one came out. Um, and the thing about the first season of a show is that it, it still builds steam and like builds, you know, you build an audience and blah, 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 blah. So people were watching it and loving it. And then they got the second season. And then once the second season was about to come out, now that the show is like an actual show and it's the, the, another season is coming out, meaning that fans liked it enough to want more, now I see Liv like on Good Morning America and she's like signing autographs and she's like she has fans now and it's like oh oh okay okay cool now my friend's famous yeah. <laughs> that's cool and then my friend Brandon who I met doing like a short film with he was the the lead of that show The Mayor on ABC. It's just like it's crazy to see like one day you're just another one of my actor friends grinding in the industry and the next day you're on Jimmy Kimmel. Like, yeah. It's insane. I experienced it a lot with music uh, in both ways in what you're describing because um, I was I started touring with musicians while I was in college and mm -hmm. it was the type of thing where it just started happening and I did it for fun but I knew it's what I wanted to be and I still did it even when I got like my first job out of school like working at a production company mm -hmm. but it'd be the thing where I'd go on a tour for like four to seven days and I'd come back working at a production office and it was so clearly not what I want to do I just do it for like rent money right and it's just like you would ha I would just have these amazing experiences with bands in different places and on stages and festivals and it's just going to the office, going to the copy machine, copy yeah. machine, it's like <laughs> the weirdest thing. It's like back to work. Yeah, but I also have witnessed that thing too of a lot of musicians. The biggest one that comes to mind was just, I remember last year, uh, Glass Animals, a UK band. Mm. I was with them when their first album came out, like around then, 2014. Mm. And just last year they played Radio City. Amazing. And, like experiencing stuff like that, you're just like, how does this even happen? Right. It's so weird. It also reminds you that it's possible and that it happens. Yeah. Because you have the context of them prior to that, and yep. it just reminds you that they're people. It's so important experiencing that. Yep, agreed. I've actually, I'm really excited to ask you about this because when we met, you were actually uh, talking to me about There's Johnny, and I oh. remember you had so much like excitement and pride in your voice just talking about it. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like for you? Oh man, There's Johnny was amazing, man. I had the greatest time shooting that show. So I actually. Went to LA. So, so funny story, real quick. Yeah. Um, the booking of that of that show was pretty insane. I so I had to do what, what what's called a self tape. A self tape is when you audition sort of on your own. So instead of going into an office and auditioning for the project, you get a camera or a phone and a friend and you record it yourself at home or wherever. Um, so I had to do four self tape auditions for this show, and this is the end of twenty sixteen. So then, January 2017, um, they called and said, it's you versus one other person. And I think the studios were sort of fighting over this other guy. So they said that if he gets this Marvel show, that you get this show. But if he doesn't get the Marvel show, then he gets it. God damn it. Yeah. So basically, they said, what we want you to do, though, because they said, like, well, the show wants you the studio kind of wants him more because Marvel wants him. So now it's a Marvel versus what was called CISO at the time, sort yeah. of fight. Yeah. So they said, what we want cameras to do is fly to LA, get here by Friday. This is on a Wednesday. <laughs> get here by Friday, meet the creators, get fit for the role, do everything as if he got the part already, and then come Monday, he'll know if he got the part or not. 
it's, no, it's a gamble. Not to crazy interject, but you know what's so insane about that? That's exactly how um, John Hamm got the role of Don Draper on Madman. No way. They originally wanted Matt Damon, and Matt Damon was being weird about the role. Like, uh -huh. not sure if you want to do it, because at the time, it was still a thing of TV. Right. And Matthew the Wiener, the director, wanted uh, uh, John Hamm so much. So he made him do the exact same thing you're describing. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, snap, I'm John Hamm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, I flew to L.A. and did the whole thing. And then I met everyone on Friday, stayed through the weekend. And then on Monday, they said, all right, you got the part. He starts tomorrow. And all of a sudden, I was in L.A. for two months. And Holy was, shit. Yeah, man, I packed for two weeks. And all, all of my friends in New York were like, where are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> when I got the call on Wednesday, I was on a flight eight hours later. I was gone. I packed and I was out. That's um, what you have to do. That's what you got to do, yeah. So I left so quickly. Um, but yeah, shooting that show was amazing, man. Working with Tony Danza, working with Paul Reiser, working with David Stephen Simon, like working with Jane Levy. It was just like such a great experience. Everyone was so cool. And it was my first time, you know, working on a studio lot and, you know, going to another state besides like Connecticut, because that happened, but going to like another coast and working on a project. Um, and being in LA, you know, you're in Hollywood, so like I got to experience all the Hollywood parties and working with all the Hollywood people, and man, it was such an experience. It was my first time getting to do a project like that on such a big scale, and sadly, uh, it went through a lot to come out, because it was going to come out on CISO, but then CISO fell through, so now it's on Hulu, and I think because of that, it made it harder to get a second season. Yeah. Because like, would we be a Hulu show if we got a second season? Would we just be an NBC Universal show on Hulu? I don't know. Um, but it was it was a lovely experience. It was a fun project that I'm proud of. My friend actually made me show it to her the other day. Right. She's never seen it, so I showed her an episode. And as I was watching it with her, I was like, man, I am proud of this project. I'm so proud of this show. And it opened up so many doors. I did a pilot this past December, and I only had one audition for it. And then my team sent the, the producers clips from there with Johnny, and that was enough for them to be like, "Great, he got the part," which is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So even if we didn't, even if we don't get to keep doing the show, it's already given me so many open doors since then. So yeah, man, that was a good one. I really love hearing that, man. <laughs> and you know, one of the things I really thought was interesting about the show is there's also the matter of the show being a period piece. And having to be as authentic as possible as an actor to convey the world that you're living in, I mean, it's an obvious question, but I would just love to hear you talk a little bit about it. How challenging is that as an actor? Like the period piece aspect of yeah. it? Um, it would have been a lot easier if I didn't get into it the day before I started shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because there were some days where like I did I would flub up in some takes and I'd say words that wouldn't have been used I was like oh that's awesome or something like that yeah. and like cut hey well she can't say awesome because they didn't say awesome like that yet I was like oh yeah good point wow um, yeah just like little things like that thankfully they were on it um, but sometimes you get caught up in like in your own language because it's again to that improving and ad libbing thing is when you want to add your own flair to it you got to make sure to add your own flair to it that makes sense in the setting of yep. the project and and having to figure out Rashid sort of quickly um, there was a bit too much cameras in there every now and then so it wasn't too difficult though I mean thankfully the, the the language was very fun and written in a way that makes sense like I think one of my lines was like uh, I said oh you know Joy and he said yeah and I go Foxy Joy <laughs> uh, Foxy 
so yeah, it was fun. Um, I, I like really one cool thing about acting is once you get into the wardrobe and the look of the character, it sort of makes everything a lot easier. Um, my acting coach used to say that too. That um, acting starts with the shoes or something like that. Because whenever I put on the costume and I see the fro, I just feel like another person. It's I, transformed you. It's transformed me, yeah. I, I feel like I'm in another time period. So I, so I would walk a certain way, not even, not even trying to, just, just look at me. Like, I, I'm not cameras anymore, like I'm Rashid. You know, I feel like Rashid, I walk like Rashid, I talk like Rashid. So I felt, I felt that it was a lot easier for this project because my team was so good at everything. That's amazing. Mm. So there's obviously a really big thing I have to ask you about. Okay. Something that's, you know, of course obvious, but holy fucking shit, you're in Luke Cage. Yeah! <laughs> uh, first, um, holy shit. <laughs> and second, what the hell is that like? <laughs> like, wow, dude. Oh, man, thank you. Uh, Luke Cage, man. thing about Luke Cage is that when I heard Luke Cage was going to be a TV show, I said straight up, out loud, to myself and to my agent, I said, I'm going to find a way in this show, period. I have to find a way into this show. And I had never even worked in TV yet. Um, uh. I was with my agent for a year and hadn't booked anything yet. But I told her, like, thank you for believing me and sticking sticking with me. Um, please see through that I, until I, I'm going to get you something soon, I swear. And I want to say, like, maybe two months later, I booked Luke Cage. Luke Cage is my first TV show ever. Um, well, not ever. I did like, you know, smaller, smaller stuff back in the day. It was my first big TV show. Yeah. So I had six shoot days, even though I only had one line. And it was awesome because I got to really experience it. And for my first TV show to have so many black characters was huge for me. I got to meet Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage, Frankie Faison, who plays Pops. I love that guy. Um, Mahershala Ali, who won freaking an Oscar for Moonlight. I got to meet him a year before he won the, the Oscar, and I, I was telling people for a year, I was like, yo, this dude, no one believed me, man, but I was like, you're going to watch Luke Cage, and you're going to love Mahershala Ali, you're going to love Cottonmouth, because dude, he, he is so amazing. Like, we would be at lunch, and we'd all sit at the same table, and I would watch him eat. Like, I'd watch him eat. I know, I know exactly what you mean, because just speaking in the, uh, from the perspective of a black man, there's a fellow black man, there's... There's certain black men that carry themselves in a way that makes you as a younger black man feel it's possible to carry yourself in that type of manner. Agreed. I was like looking at him in awe. I was like, how, how are you so studious and like you feel like that you can do anything and you can, you can outsmart anyone in this room but also beat all of us up if you wanted to. <laughs> well, also being humble and honest. Yeah. It's really, it's important to see all those uh, facets of a person. Right. I mean, it was, man, I wish like we could have stayed in contact or something after that. But I was so young. I was like, well, how old was I? I was 20, Push. 20 something, maybe 20, 19 or wow. something. Wow. 20. Um, so maybe, maybe I was even 21, I can't. Something like that, 20. So being on set with him, man, I was so nervous. Like even when I got to the day of my line, I screwed up so many times because I just like I wanted to get it right so badly. Um, <laughs> and thankfully, that show, everyone involved with that show was amazing. Cheo, uh, Cheo, who's like the showrunner writer of the show, he's really good at bringing people back because he's very loyal and very very sweet and very awesome. So since I had that one line as the video game kid in season one, season two they had the corner kid. And the casting director was like, yo, what if the video game kid just sort of became the, the corner kid? Because yeah. we already know that he does comedy, so like it would work. 
And J.O. was just like, sure. He just gave me the part. So that's why I come back in season two with that scene. And the scene is so fun. It was like, I got it like a couple of days before. I, my, my old agent was like, hey, um, they might want you to come back for this scene in season two. And I was like, what? <laughs> cool. And then yeah, I, I got there, I got the scene. And it was just fun. It's just me making fun of Luke for two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. But what's amazing about that scene is that like that's like one of the first clips uh taste of season two that they even put out there. It's which crazy. Is they used it they used my my one scene as like the season two exclusive clip, which was mind blowing. Like out of all the scenes to use, they used the one scene. It was it was pretty wild. <laughs> it made me very happy. That's so cool. And I also wanted to say, um, just a little going backwards a little bit, what you said about your agent about like how you're, you and your agent were able to book work for a year. I think sometimes people would hear that and just go like, what, how is that possible? But mm -hmm. uh, something I've learned from just being around actors and just seeing kind of like a little bit of behind the scenes is just like that, it's so common that. Yeah. It's just like, and there's so many factors. I think what's amazing about acting, I'm definitely rambling a little bit, but it's important to say this. <laughs> I think what's amazing about acting is to have the desire to pursue it and feel like it's what you need to do. Oh yeah. It's a shockingly, brutal thing to have within you because there's so many things that around you have nothing to do with you mm -hmm. but uh constrict and like uh pretty much have influence on how your career develops true there's I mean, so much things that have nothing to do with you like a lot of the time you can go in there and be the absolute best actor that they've ever seen and not get the part because you just weren't written like the, the, the character that was written isn't you exactly or maybe you're not like maybe the main character is famous and your character is their love interest and even though you were amazing you're not tall enough or you're too tall or you're too big like it, it could be anything yeah. um so you got to keep that in mind if you can as long as you're going in there we're going into the room doing your best work then that's all that matters that's really crazy man like i want only i have like a couple more things to ask you but before we jump off of the cage i mean you brought up the fact of like how empowering it was just being on a set full of other black people and it reminds me of like the time that a friend of mine from africa came to visit the states mm -hmm. And, you know, something that I love, I love racial conversations, especially in the context of seeing them from someone else's eyes. And this African friend of mine, uh, he was traveling other states, and he, when he came back, he would start in New York, went to other states, came back to New York. When I asked him about, you know, his state, he said something that's crazy is that, like, he understands how damaging living in America could be in terms of racism, in the sense that in Africa, as a black person, you see black doctors, black lawyers, right. you just see that everywhere. So it doesn't even cross your mind that you don't have access. Yeah. But being in America, you do see just it in such a smaller fashion that he understood like how mentally that could get to you. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. For someone from Africa to see that in America is going to be crazy. Yeah. But for you to be on the set of Luke Cage, like that just, I mean, what do you think, do you think anything about that experience changed you as an actor or even a person? I mean, probably, because, I mean, to go on set and to see the a black showrunner and all these black actor leads, and th there were black people everywhere on, in front of the camera and behind it, it's just to see that, you know, after struggling for so many years and auditioning for so many drug dealers and gangsters and all this crazy stuff, and then coming on set of a black superhero show and then seeing all of these very charming, very funny, very smart black men and women, man. <laughs> <laughs> It blew me away. I mean, like, it, it just showed me, it showed me what, what to look forward to. Like, it showed me that, like, oh, if these are the characters that they're being, that they're playing right now, then imagine all the characters that I'll get to play one day uh, that I actually want to play. Because I remember, I think it was the year before that, I had auditioned for three different rappers that sold drugs in three weeks for three different shows. 
Jesus. Um, it's just like it wasn't original. Like they were all doing the same thing, these black stereotypes that I didn't want to play. But I had to go in for them because there were no other auditions. And then I go on Luke Cage and it's like, oh no, there were better projects for us coming. Yeah, man, it was very blessed that that was my first. Dude, we've come a long way from fucking Samuel Jackson being the robber and coming to America. <laughs> Boy, amen. <laughs> amen to that. I just want to ask you one more thing. And, uh, you know, and I mean this really, no joke. You're one of my favorite people to actually follow on social media. Thanks, man. And I mean that. And it's funny. I actually, people listening who are familiar with the show know that I, usually, typically for me, I don't enjoy bringing up social media. But I bring it up in this context because we're living in a time now where there's so much negativity in the world. Mm-hmm. And... Something that just really impresses me about you is that you go around and you tend to find this way of always expressing positivity. And I don't mean this in a corny way, but I just really want to know, like, why do you feel it's important to showcase positivity in the world? Man, I love that question so much. It's, it's funny that you, that you asked that, because I was sort of thinking about this yesterday. Man, the thing about positivity and optimism is it makes everything so much better in life. Because um, there's so much darkness in the world, and what's the point of adding on to that, you know? I've noticed that being a, a happy person or finding whatever happiness means to me and, and, and sort of chasing that in life, it opens up all these, I, I've said this before, but it's opened up all these doors in my life where people want to be around you and help you and participate in whatever you're trying to do because you have this light that you just want to share. Yeah. And it's not because you're forcing anything on anybody, it's just that you're looking to have a good time all the time as much as you can. And I noticed that whenever there are some people that are feeling some sort of darkness or sadness inside of them, and you're just overly, not overtly positive, but you're just positive, then you tend to make people feel better without even trying. Yeah. And there's been so many times where like someone would text me and say like, hey, uh, I feel bad, like, can you make me feel better? Because you always make me feel better when I'm sad. And I was like, do I? <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. What's it feel, to, what's it feel like to be told that? Uh, well, the thing is, man, I've been giving relationship advice since the sixth grade, even though, <laughs> even though I was never in a relationship until, like, the ninth. <laughs> it made no sense, but I've always had this sort of, not pressure, but responsibility to empathize with other people and make sure other people were okay. And it's, I think it's one reason that I love acting so much is because it's becoming other people, and also people watch your films and your TV shows and they feel something from those things. So... I feel like it's almost sort of my job on the earth to make people feel better. I mean, I used to want to be a psychologist for a long time because listening and just like giving my feedback and trying to just tweak a little bit to find the light instead of all this darkness in someone's head, it feels good. And it, it, if I know how to do that and other people don't, then I should be doing that. And actually, I just got that text. I got that text from two different people yesterday. Uh, one friend, has, she's been going through a whole lot, and she said that. Um, I haven't talked to her in years. We went to high school together. And she said, um, I just wanted to text you because I'm having a bad day and you used to always make, used to always make my bad days better. And then my other friend is going through this relationship stuff. And I was just like, oh, I, I just crack jokes. I just crack jokes, get her mind out of it. And then the thing about that is you crack jokes while also giving advice sort yeah. of thing. Until finally she's laughing and I'm like, you feel better. And she's like, yeah, I'm like, cool. Job's done. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's just, it's... It's a fun way to live. I mean, like, if I'm on Instagram and I'm posting a story and I'm having fun, like, I want people to see that, look, hey, there's fun happening in the world. Like, see, look at all the fun things that are happening. Look at all the nice things that are happening around us. And I have bad days, too. And I'll share my bad days and I'll talk about my bad days. But my bad days don't last very long because what's the point? 
Exactly. You know? Yeah, it's just a moment in time. Yeah, just you know, a moment in time. Before I sign off, I brought up before your IMDb page, and what's cool about it is I was looking at it last night, naturally, because mm -hmm. I knew I was going to be talking to you, and <laughs> you have a lot of stuff you're working on, dude. Thanks, like, man. a lot of fucking stuff. <laughs> I know because of how a lot of these things go, there's not a lot you can actually talk about in regards to that. Thankfully, I can. Uh, oh, you can, actually. Yeah, thankfully, the projects I'm working on aren't too secretive. Um, oh. I can't give, like, a, a much about, like, you know, I can't get too, in too much yeah. into the nitty-gritty, but I did shoot two films this year. One was called Safe Spaces, starring Justin Long, Fran Drescher, Richard Schiff. That one was awesome. And this other independent film was called The Cat in the Moon. Uh, it was written written and directed by and starring Alex Wolf. Whoa. Yeah, who's the the son in Hereditary right now. Have you ever seen Hereditary? I haven't seen it yet, but I'm so aware of it. Dude, it's great. Yeah. Alex is so good in the film. I'm not just saying that because I'm his friend. He's, man, he's great. And the, the, the actress... Her name is escaping my mind right now. She's amazing. She's a legend. She's also amazing. Her, them two are, man, they kill that film. So anyway, uh, we did a film together earlier this year, and both of those will probably hit the whole festival circuit this yeah. year or next year. But right now, <laughs> I am shooting uh, <coughs> my first studio film for Warner Brothers and MGM. It's called The Sun is Also a Star. <clears throat> Which is an amazing title, though. Is it based off a book? Yeah, it's actually the book's right there. I'm sure. Look at that. <laughs> People can't see, but it's the book has been sat in front of me this whole time. But there's a PlayStation control on top of it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's based off of uh, this. I think it's a New York Times uh, bestseller um, written by Nicola Yoon. She's also she also wrote the movie. Well, she wrote the book Everything Everything. That was, oh, yeah. Yeah, that the movie is based off of last year. Um, so yeah, it stars Yara Shahidi from Blackish. It stars Charles Melton from. Uh, from Riverdale, and also John Leguizamo was in it. Oh fuck! Yeah, he just recently um, was posting about it. So yeah, it's man, I'm having a great time shooting that. It'll be out in theaters May, I think May seventeenth, May nineteenth next year. Um, it's crazy, man. It's so <laughs> it's crazy because I've been working towards a project like this for the past six years. It's it's my first time saying like I'm gonna be in a movie. Like I mean, I've shot films before, I've shot movies before, but this is the first time where. I don't know. It's 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 really crazy to that I'm on set working with these people and people are taking pictures of me and it's like, boy, what 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 have I done? Like I'm not I'm not Yar Shahidi. I'm not Charles Melton. I'm just this other guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh right, because we're shooting a movie. Like it's really crazy. Uh, it's that thing where we, you're chasing something for so long and then you get it, or at least you get close. And the world is trying to like the world is sort of preparing you for it, and it's it's sort of saying, hey, cameras, get ready. Because things are about to pop off pretty soon. And when I was on set this past Friday, it's when I realized, like, oh, oh, things are about to get real weird. Because I'm shooting a movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's weird, man. It's a it's a very humbling, very amazing, very, very lovely experience that I'm going through right now. And it's a huge blessing that my first studio film is actually going so well. And everyone's so sweet and everyone's so giving. And that the director lets us improv and ad-lib a lot. Cause that's great. That's huge and rare for a studio film. As I well. know she like lets us be so flexible with the scenes, and some scenes start one way, and then a few takes later is completely different, and I love that. Cause now even for me, I don't even know what the movie is gonna be because we've changed so many scenes so much, and I'm not in nearly as much of the film as the two leads. Um, I started off as going, going to be in about 15 minutes of it, and I think they may be adding another scene or two for me, yeah. which is very exciting. Um, but yeah, man, the sun is also a star. Check it out next year. Definitely. Uh, you touched on this a little bit, but before we turn off, I just wanted to say in regards to these projects coming up, mm -hmm. I guess this is the last big question. 
how do you find yourself feeling about your craft with the work ahead, with the work that you are working on now and the work you have ahead? Like, how are you feeling about acting at this very moment? Mm, I feel good, man, because we have so many, as a black actor, we have so many black-inspired or black, um, black-led projects now, like Black Panther, like Insecure, um, like Atlanta. We have so many things showing people like, hey, black people are people too. (laughs) (laughs) Which should sound obvious, but here we are. (laughs) Here we are, here we are. So it's fun to see that there are so many more characters that I never would have gone in for three years ago that I finally have the chance to go in for now. Uh, Like the pilot that I shot this past December, I was the boy next door. There are no black boy next doors, it's not a thing. (laughs) But I was the black boy next door, which was amazing. And what that means, the boy next door is like almost a literal neighbor in a project where like he's the friend or the whatever that you never sort of think is going to be the boyfriend because he's just the friend and eventually becomes the boyfriend i played that guy um so yeah i'm I'm really excited because i've played a lot of the funny best friend in my career because it's just it's just life it's you know it's just what it's what i have fun with i mean some say typecasting but it's just the type of thing of just what happens exactly i mean i'd rather be typecast as the funny best friend than typecast as the drug dealer you know? yeah so in the sun is also a star i get to play like there's johnny sort of like the funny best friend but omar is like this musician and he's sort of like the big brother figure to the main character so depending on the take there it might even he might even be a sort of like the the conscience of him of, oh, wow. of, of daniel's character um so I look forward to this character coming out, and I get to show the masses that I get to play, how I play the funny best friend, and how much I love to play that character. But hopefully it also opens doors to play new characters that I never would have even thought about playing. Because um, I am seeing new characters that I'm going in for that are really interesting to me. Um, really dark characters, really strange characters. I, I love darker and grittier projects, things that like, like Black Mirror, for example. I love things that ugh, like really get into your soul, yeah. um, and now I'm starting to see more of those opportunities for people like me. So I think after this film comes out, or even before, people already know that I'm shooting it, so it's already opening up doors for, for very interesting projects. Um, I look forward to the new types of characters that I'll be able to play. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I can't wait to see it, man. Dude, thanks for your time. It was really good catching up with Thank you. Thank you so much. This is great. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs>